Okay, I guess we'll see how far my voice goes. <laughs> guess that was it. Well, we started into Deuteronomy last time, and uh, it's a summary of the law and also a preparation to go into the land. And I recall that we discussed that that night, last uh, Bible study was actually the first day of the month, the new moon day of the 11th month of the year, and we were addressing this on that very night. Coincidental, I suppose, and ironic, but, but interesting. And we went through and saw that Moses was beginning to, to summarize and to review what they had gone through before coming to the point that they were ready to go into the land. And uh, I, I think the parallels are certainly very great between that and the end-time church. Uh, we've been through quite a bit in the last uh, couple of decades. Well, even further back than that, but really since the breakup of Worldwide started, and there have been many trials, troubles, difficulties, persecutions, attitudes, murmurs, complaints, uh, complaints, and on and on it goes, very similar to what Israel went through before they were ready to go into that promised land at that time. It was physical blessings that they had been offered, and they were unable to control their attitudes enough to receive those blessings. <coughs> Most of them died in the wilderness, even as most of those who were called into worldwide are beginning to die in a spiritual wilderness that is out there today. Now, I don't think, in fact, I, I know I am not drawing on this in vain because we're going to see a little later on, I don't know whether we'll get that far tonight or not, but what we are reading here in Deuteronomy is being written about the latter days. In fact, I could flip back over to that. That's in chapter 4, verse 30. It says, When you are in tribulation, and all these things are come upon you, which we'll read about, even in the latter days, if you turn to the Lord your God, and shall be obedient to his voice. And it carries on from there. So while he's reviewing history here, he's showing what is going to happen in the latter days. So Deuteronomy being is very far from being ancient history that just had to do with the ancient Israelites. It has to do very much with us today. He talked about the report of what was coming, and only Caleb and Joshua gave a good report. And the job of getting into the promised land and conquering it just seemed to be an insurmountable task to everyone but those two. And we can be discouraged and frustrated today because we are going through all kinds of trials, troubles, difficulties, frustrations. Uh, we're having to develop patience because things are not happening as fast as we would like them to happen and so on and so forth. Uh, we see all kinds of obstacles, difficulties, and stumbling blocks in the way to keep us out of the kingdom of God, and yet God tells us to move forward in faith and believe, <coughs> because if we do what we're supposed to do, it's going to happen. And it's that belief, that faith, that hope, that gives us the strength and the courage to stay with it. 
while many, many are giving up or doing very little or thinking they have it made, perhaps, in some cases, very few have a realistic view of what's going on and understand what we must go through before we get to the other side. And you look at that tribulation looming in front of us and the financial crash that is going to come, followed probably by the military takeover, <coughs> martyrdom and everything that has to happen between now and the time Christ sets his foot on the Mount of Olives. And it's a pretty formidable thing, isn't it? Uh, hard to think about. We want God's kingdom to be here, and we say, please hurry that, <clears throat> but at the same time, look at all we have to go through before that can come. We had better believe in God, because we won't have the strength and the courage to handle it unless we do. But God was very pleased with Joshua and Caleb because they said, we can do this. Let's go ahead. Let's move forward. Now let's pick it up in chapter 3. We left off at the end of chapter 2 last time. Then we turned and went up the way to Bashan, and Og the king of Bashan came out against us and, he all, and, and all his people to battle at Edridai, or Edrei, I guess. Uh, it shows the battles they went through. We have tended to get together and compare our battle scars, haven't we, in the last 20 years or so. And uh, it's not wrong to review sometimes what we've been through to see where we've come. It's not good to be in a bad attitude about them, but just a history to understand where we've been and where we still must go can sometimes be encouraging. In other words, even when you're climbing a mountain or hiking across vast expanses of territory, sometimes it seems as if you will never get to the top of the mountain or across the plain or wherever you're going. And sometimes it's encouraging to look back and see that, well, yeah, I've covered a lot of ground. When you're mountain climbing especially, the higher you get, uh, it begins to look like a way long way back down that mountain. Uh, mountains always look taller from up on top of them than they do from down below them. Uh, so maybe God made that partly on purpose that we can look back and see, well, hey, we have come a long way. Uh, we may have a long way to go, but it's encouraging to see that we've come this far and we're still hanging on. I'm not going to go through <coughs> all the battles and all the cities that uh, chapter 3 talks about here. I don't know that that's necessarily profitable for our purposes here. If you want to read them, you, you certainly can, and I have. In fact, I read them this evening, but uh, there's, there's nothing there that grabs me about each of those that we need to necessarily name all the cities and all the kings they went up against. Suffice it to say, uh, and maybe God listed them in part, so that we could see the long list of battles they had to fight, the difficulties they had to go through. Uh, and there's quite a list of them here. And we can do the same with our own lives and with the church. <coughs> Let's pick it up down in 18. And I commanded you at that time, saying, 
the Lord your God has given you this land to possess it. Now he speaks of those things that are not as if they already were. They hadn't gone in there yet. They said, I've given it to you, and now we've just got to get the deal finished. And the same is true of us. We've been given the earnest of his spirit. We've been given a promise of his kingdom. We just have to finish the details and get the job done. With his help, of course. Uh, you shall pass over arm before your brethren, the children of Israel, all that are uh, equipped or able for war. But your wives and your little ones and your cattle, for I know that you have much cattle, shall abide in your cities which I have given you. Interestingly, at the end it talks about living in villages with much men and cattle, and they had much cattle there, and they had their little ones and their families. God is one to draw his people together in uh, somewhat the same circumstance. <clears throat> Until the Lord have given rest to your brethren, as well as to you, until they also possess the land which the Lord your God has given them beyond Jordan. And then shall you return every man to his possession, which I have given you. So God promises that his promises will be fulfilled. And I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So shall the Lord do unto all the kingdoms where you pass. Remember how he tells us in Isaiah 8 not to fear the conspiracy or the new world order or whatever form it finally takes, but to fear him. And the advice never changes, does it? Throughout man's history, any who would obey God always faced trouble, trauma, uh, frustration, and difficulties. It's just always been the case. And now is no different. There was a segment on the polygamists again the other night that someone recorded for me. Uh, just a short one on the news, 10 minutes or so, but it showed aerial views of the complex they're building on 2,000 acres there in West Texas. And uh, quite a layout. And they're working 24 hours a day to get it ready. Reckon we ought to speed things up around here? <laughs> I don't know. I don't suppose every individual works 24 hours a day. They probably have different shifts, but they're working very like like mice down there, or beavers or whatever, to get that done. I don't know why they're in such a hurry. Uh, maybe they think things are going to come to a head out here, or maybe they have a, a goal in mind that their prophet has laid before them, or or something that's causing them to uh, to move so rapidly to do what they're doing. But comments have been made that, well, <clears throat> we live not far from those people and if they're going to receive persecution and martyrdom, which they are, well, I don't know about martyrdom, but certainly persecution, that we're next. Well, that may be so. But we know the true God. And no matter what comes along, we can face it. And God will cause us to win if we move forward in faith and obeying him. <clears throat> that's always been the case let's go on and, and read verse 21 and I commanded Joshua at that time saying your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings so shall the Lord do unto all the kingdoms where you pass uh, doesn't he tell us in Isaiah and again in Micah that he'll make us a sharp threshing instrument 
and we will be able to go out against the governments, the kingdoms, and nations of this world, and uh, that they cannot stand before us. Verse 22, you shall not fear them, for the Lord your God, he shall fight for you. We shouldn't fear persecution and martyrdom and all these things that are supposed, supposed to be coming and will come. Uh, God will fight for us. We have nothing really to worry about. And I besought the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. Maybe we're in that position. He's just begun to show it. He hasn't really come out in full power as yet, but he's begun to show his hand. For what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to your works and according to your might? I pray you, let me go over and see the good land that is beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain in Lebanon. Now, this is Moses speaking. But the Eternal was angry with me for your sakes and would not hear me. And the Lord said to me, let it suffice you, speak no more to me of this matter. Don't even bring it up again, God told Moses. <coughs> Get you up into the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and behold it with your eyes, for you shall not go over this Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people and he shall cause you to inherit, or them, to inherit the land which you shall see. So we abode in the valley over against Beth Peor. Now he's going to address Israel again and give some instruction here. So I can't go. God told me don't bring it up again. Forget it. Uh, look at it, and that's where your people are going. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, to the statutes and to the judgments which I teach you, for to do them, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the eternal God of your fathers gives you. We're at the same point. Uh, thank you. <clears throat> We're at the same point, really. Uh, we've seen what God has done in the past. We're told not to fear. We're told to move forward. We're told that God will accomplish what he has said he will do. But we need to be reminded to keep his ways and do his ways. Not just know them, but do them. Verse 2, you shall not add to the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish anything from it, <coughs> that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. We could tie in several scriptures here, including Revelation 22, 18, and 19, which says not to take from or add to God's word. We must stand in fear and trembling before God's word, uh, even if it means changing some of our most dear traditions. That's the point I've had to make in this Passover paper, is that we have to do what the scriptures say, not discredit Luke or anybody else, uh, so we can keep our own beliefs. We simply have to do what the scriptures say. And the further I've studied these matters about the Passover, both issues, the more absolutely convinced I am that they are absolutely correct. There is much more proof, better organized proof, and uh, there's, just, there's just no doubt. And I hope that uh, everyone who has turned from that or said that can't be 
we'll read these papers carefully because uh, I think the entire Word of God is reflected in them in terms of all the scriptures that have to do with these particular subjects. We must be careful to obey all God's words. <clears throat> Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor, for all that men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord your God has destroyed them from among you. But you that did cleave to the eternal your God are alive, every one of you, this day. Baal Peor, or Baal, or Baal worship, is simply what we see around us in modern day America. It has the same roots, a lot of the same beliefs, uh, just got a, a more modern uh, wrapping on it, but it all goes back to that. And this culture, this society, this way of living that the world's culture has is what caused them to be destroyed. And anyone who stays in it today is going to be destroyed. Only if we come out of it and obey God will we be preserved and saved and remain alive. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgment, even as the judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do so in the land whither you go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great who God who has God so nigh to them? as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for. We know we are in a position now where God has turned his face from us temporarily, but we saw in Isaiah 54 that it was only for a moment and he will turn back. But we are to be a light to the world and a light to the nations. And when people look at us someday, they should be able to use these words and say, what kind of people is that what kind of people are those that God answers their prayers that God blesses them God helps them that's something we have to look forward to if we do our part we're called a holy nation there in Peter a particular or a redeemed people that God has has bought with the blood of Christ what nation is there so great I would like for people to say that of us someday Today we're a laughing stock wherever and, and in this valley I'm sure we are. Who are those Branch Davidians over there? I've even heard that term, that we're part of those people. And I'm sure that we are laughed to scorn in private by people around here and people that know of us here and there. But won't they have a smile on the other side of their face when God does turn and begin to bless the way he said he will if we do our, do our part. We'll see that that's part of it here in a moment. Verse 8, And what nation is there so great <coughs> that has statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Who has a better code of life or society or culture than what we have. Even in this little community, our covenants are the Word of God. Uh, all the words of God. Those are what we are here to live by. And uh, 
We're not perfect yet by any means, but that's the direction we should be going. So you, so you have the greatest set of laws, the greatest set of rules there is anywhere. Only take heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. But teach them your sons and your sons' sons. What we have as a way of life is so important and so good and so rewarding that it's something we need to teach our kids and our grandchildren to be sure that they know the way of God. Especially the day that you stood before the eternal your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their children. And you came near and stood under the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven, with darkness, clouds, and thick darkness. He's speaking about when they were in <coughs> at Sinai in Horeb. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude. Only you heard a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, even ten commandments. And he wrote them upon two tables of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments, that you might do them in the land where you go to possess it. Take you therefore good heed to yourselves. Or be watchful, be awake, be alert, uh, be aware of what's going on in your life and, and what you do are doing and need to be doing. For you saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spoke to you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire. <coughs> Lest you corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female the likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the waters beneath the earth, unless you lift up your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the hosts of heaven, should be driven to worship them and serve them, which the eternal your God is divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. So what do people do today in our land? We have all kinds of things that take our time from God that, in, a, in an essence, are graven images. And we have people, a lot of people, who read their daily horoscope and see what the stars, the demons, have to say for them to them for that day. I avoid looking at a horoscope, a horoscope, uh, like the plague, if I happen to see one, I make sure my eyes don't fall anywhere near uh, the section that would tell me what I'm supposed to do or what's going to happen to me that day. I don't want to know what the demons have to say. But there are an awful lot of people in this country that do that. They go to Ouija boards and, and uh, seances and talk to their witches, <coughs> spiritual advisors. pretty common. But the Lord has taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance as you are this day. 
Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes and swore that I should not go over Jordan and that I should not go into that good land which the eternal your God has given you for an inheritance. <coughs> what did Moses do that was so bad? He lost his temper a little bit and struck the rock instead of just speaking to it. What was the problem? Attitude. He just lost his attitude there for a bit. And he suffered a tremendous penalty for that because God had said, do this, and he did something else. A fit of anger, you know. I can imagine that if you've got 300 griping, complaint, there are 3 million and more, griping, complaining, crabbing people who are saying, well, God brought us out here to die. He won't give us any water. And you finally just get so exasperated, you just, okay, and smack the rock. I can see that happening so easily. God said, don't do that. He just said, speak. Moses took it one step further. We need to be very, very careful in our attitudes toward God and our attitudes toward one another. Because look at the, the tremendous price he had to pay. And he still had to go ahead and lead those people for 40 years knowing he wouldn't go in. God made him keep his nose to the grindstone there. He's giving some pretty good advice here <laughs> to pay attention and, and take heed to yourselves. Let's see, where was I here? Uh, verse 23, Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the eternal your God, which he made with you, and make you a graven image or the likeness of anything which the eternal your God has forbidden you. For your, the eternal your God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. God really gets upset when anything comes between us and him. He is highly jealous of us, and with good reason. He wants us to be in his kingdom and be part of his family forever and ever. And we bumble around down here and do things we shouldn't do and think things we shouldn't do, and it frustrates him greatly, and he is a consuming fire. Now, he's a God of great love, or we would have already been wiped out a long time ago. But don't forget that... Uh, he becomes frustrated and angry with us when we don't do what he wants us to do, just like we as parents do with our children. Uh, you know, we know what we want them to do, and we know what attitude we want them to have, but getting them there is very, very difficult and takes patience. When you shall beget children and children's children, and you shall have remained long in the land and shall corrupt yourselves and make a graven image or the likeness of anything, and you shall do evil in the sight of the eternal your God to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you shall soon utterly perish from off the land whereunto you go over Jordan to possess it. You shall not prolong your days upon it, but you shall be utterly destroyed. That's what's happening to the church today because of the main idol that we put up, the main graven image, was the one we see in the mirror. We began to have a very high value in ourselves, uh, thinking we were spiritually rich and in need of nothing, really, because we were God's church. 
and God's special people. And yeah, we were God's church. And yeah, in that sense, we were special. But on the other hand, we became special in our own eyes. And we began to put our desires and our ways and our time and our energies ahead of God. And he didn't like that. So people are dying right and left spiritually. And the Lord shall scatter you among the peoples, and you shall be left few in number among the heathen, where the eternal shall lead you. Same promises we had for the church today, and the same thing is going to happen to physical Israel today. Exact same uh, result. <coughs> and there you shall serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But if from there you shall seek the eternal your God, you shall find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Where have we read that before? Every book of the Bible it seems like we go to, we find something of that nature written. That's what it's all about, is to turn to him so that we want to obey him and please him with all our heart. And that's where we find ourselves today, destroyed and scattered as a church. What do we need to be doing? Seeking God, trying to find him with all our heart. That's what we're here for. That's what this out here in the desert is really all about is to get away from the influences of this world and to have the opportunity, the time, the energy to seek God with our whole heart. That's what we're out here for. We should not have all the distractions of the world to keep us from it. This affords us an opportunity instead of the stresses and the push and the pull that we had out in the world. When you are in tribulation and all these things are come upon you, even in the latter days, if you turn to the eternal your God and shall be obedient to his voice, <coughs> for the Lord your God is a merciful God, he will not forsake you, neither destroy you. That's quoted in the New Testament where he says he'll never leave us or forsake us. Nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man upon the earth, and ask from the one side of heaven to the other, where there has been any such thing as this great thing is, or has been heard like it. The mercy he will show on us after our great burden of sin, and how he'll give us salvation on, after all this is said and done, life eternal, joy and peace and happiness, and everything that we could possibly want in life forever. We've never heard of any such thing. Uh, the promises we have before us are promises that no one can grasp or understand. Did ever people hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? Or has God essayed to go and take him a nation from the midst of another nation by temptations, by signs, and by wonders, and by war? and by a mighty hand, and by a stretched out arm, and by great terrors, according to all that the eternal your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. These things are going to be happening again soon. And God says that the deliverance from this world is going to be so great that we won't even remember Egypt and the Red Sea. It'll, it'll put it pale by comparison. 
Unto you it was showed that you might know that the eternal, he is God. There is none else beside him. <coughs> now you and I didn't see the firstborn of Egypt die. We didn't see the Red Sea part. That's why God wrote this book, so we could read it and imbibe of it and react as a result of it by obeying God from here on out. Verse 36, out of heaven he made you to hear his voice, that he might instruct you, and upon earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. We're going to have the same thing. So he's going to be a wall of fire around us when it comes time and it's needed. <clears throat> Just as he was a pillar of fire back in that desert. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their seed after them, and brought you out into his sight with his mighty power out of Egypt to drive out nations from before you greater and mightier than you are to bring you in to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore this day and consider it in your heart that the eternal he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. There is none else. You shall therefore keep his commandments and statutes which I command you this day that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong the, your days upon the earth which the eternal your God gives you forever. Now, that's the same wording as honor your father and your mother and the Ten Commandments. We've said the first four have to do with God, the last six with relationship to man, but they all really apply both ways. Well, honoring our Father in heaven is the greatest honor we're to give. People say sometimes, well, should I, should I obey my husband when he says do this? Well, who's your real husband? You don't ever disobey God in order to obey a physical husband. Obey a physical husband as long as he's following Christ, as long as he's telling you to do what God would have you do. But if there's any variation from that, you are not obligated to obey your husband. That's all there is to it. Because that would lead you into sin and eternal death. So yes, honor your parents, honor your mate, but honor your bridegroom-to-be and your father in heaven ahead of any man. Then Moses severed three cities on this side Jordan toward the sun rising, that the slayer might flee thither, which should kill his neighbor unaware, and hated him not in times past, and that fleeing unto one of these cities he might live, talking about the cities of refuge there, namely Bezar in the wilderness in the plain country of the Reubenites and Ramoth and Gilead of the Gadites and Golan and Bashan of the Manassites. And this is the law which Moses set before the children of Israel. These are the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which Moses spoke to the children of Israel. On this side, Jordan, in the valley over against Beth Peor, and among the Edomites, Amorites, and so on. And they possessed his land, verse 47, the land of Og, king of Bashan. Uh, two kings of the Amorites, which were on this side, Jordan, toward the sun rising. From Arawar, which is by the bank of the river Arnon, and even to Mount Sion, uh, Sion, which is Hermon. And all the plain on this side, Jordan, eastward, even under the sea of the plain, under the springs of Pisgah. I think it's interesting to read through those and you see Morites 
which could possibly be an equivalent in more men today, men of more or Moreites, Mormons. And uh, it's interesting to me that the uh, western headquarters of the Internal Revenue Service is in Ogden or Ogsden, uh, Utah. And the Og, the king of Bashan, was one of the <coughs> main kings of those peoples back then. And we even have a Zion here. And on and on it goes. Well, I think I'm going to stop there. Uh, we've had about 45 minutes or nearly an hour of Bible study and covered two chapters, but my voice is about gone and I need to save some for Sabbath. So we'll stop here and, and I'm going to disappear, take these germs away from you. <laughs> and I hope to see you all Sabbath, God willing. <laughs>